is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Oh yeah, you're back and listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Thank you all for tuning in live on our YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe and hit the bell notification to get notified whenever we have new content available to you. You can also stay up to date with the show when you're on the go by downloading us on your favorite podcast app. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, flying solo today to give you guys our heroes and zeros, your recap for week 14. Of course, still going on. As we speak, we still got the two Monday night games that are lined up right next to each other for absolutely no reason whatsoever other than just poor, poor play calling uh, there by the NFL. But, you know, nonetheless, a lot of matchups going to be coming down to this. It is the last week of the regular season. Many of you had a win to get in, so we'll have to see exactly what happens. Hopefully, if you've been following along with this show, if you've been following us on social media, at MDFF Show on X or MDFF Show everywhere else, you're in a playoff position after this week. Hopefully, we're able to help you out and do that. And hopefully, we'll also be able to help you out in making a playoff run because championship season is here. But every single week, Every single week, there is something we learn that's new heading into our following week, heading into our next matchups. Where are our trends for our players? That's why we recap these things. And even in week 14, there's still a lot to learn. So let's go ahead and get into it with our heroes and zeros. Heroes and zeros. Well, first up, we have the Thursday night game, which thankfully was more entertaining, as well as, at least especially in the first half, than we were anticipating it to be. As far as our zeros go, though, the Pittsburgh backfield was atrocious. Now, I mean, I guess the real zero would have to be Mitchell Trubisky playing horribly. Yeah, from a fantasy standpoint, it'd be a DFS showed him down, because I don't know who in their right mind would have played Trubisky in their lineup, but if you DFS showed him down, he actually gets in the end zone by rushing the football. You know, so from a fan standpoint, it looks like Trubisky was like, okay, but he played terrible, and it affected the entire offense. And the running backs were the most effective. I mean, you would think coming into this game, the Patriots a little more susceptible to running backs than they are in the passing game. You think they have to lean on that rushing attack with Mitchell Trubisky. You at least thought that Jalen Warren and Najee Harris would, in fact, be able to make a damage in the passing game. And they were involved, but nothing too significant here. Najee Harris, only 12 carries, 29 rushing yards, three targets, three receptions, and 19 yards. Meanwhile, Jalen Warren goes for seven carries on 11 rushing yards, five targets, four catches, and 29 yards. It's just bad. I had both these guys as RB3 flex plays. I was lower than the ECR on them, but I still thought they could be in your flex. And if they're going to eat into each other, on top of not being a highly productive, on top of Kenny Pickett not apparently being the quarterback, because as bad as Pickett's been this season, he's still, he's still way better than Mr. Trubisky, especially for keeping that offense on the field. It's a tough situation. And I don't know how you can go into your playoffs, especially your first week next week thinking you can confidently play a Najee Harris or a Jalen Warren. If you are in a position where these guys are flex plays for you, like they're being ranked as RB3s, you're going to have to pivot to wide receivers. That's the only explanation here. Now, if you need one of them to be RB2 and you're just in that tough situation, we're going to try to find some better options with our waiver wire rankings that we'll post out a graphic for on our Instagram, on our TikTok, on our social media pages on Tuesday morning like we do every single week. But this is brutal. And I don't know when it ever gets better, frankly, when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers' backfield. Now, let's move into our heroes. And our heroes for the week, Ezekiel Elliott coming in. I had him ranked as a top 24, running back 22 to be exact. Somebody I was like, you know what? I want him in the lineup. Volume is king. And unlike on the other side where the Pittsburgh Steelers are having to split the work, we don't have to split the work. With Zeke. He gets 22 carries in this game, 68 yards, and then the eight targets for seven receptions, 72 yards, and a touchdown as a receiver. 
There was no Devontae Parker in this game. There's no Pop Douglas in this game. And as a result, Ezekiel Elliott kind of acted as the number one pass catcher alongside Juju Smith-Schuster. And, you know, Hunter Henry got the two touchdowns, but not very many targets. Ramondre Stevenson was setting up to be a league winner down the stretch because the Patriots' schedule for running backs is quite good. Now, we don't know if Ramondre even bothers to come back this regular season. There really doesn't make much sense for him to do so. Dealing with a high ankle injury, Patriots playing for absolutely nothing. It wouldn't surprise me if they say, hey, you know, the one guy we think would probably still be on this team next year is Stevenson. Maybe we don't bother to play him. Maybe we'll put him in that situation. So Ezekiel Elliott might be a lock him in play every single week for the rest of the season during your playoff run. And at least you can see now if he's given enough volume, he can give you the production that you need. All right, let's take it down a little bit. Let's talk about our observational notes a little bit. So I did get into Ezekiel Elliott already about him being a play. And that was a big one, of course, on the Patriots side, because outside of that, we don't really care. And it's Devontae Parker. If you're full point PPR leagues, maybe Pop Douglas is somebody when he comes back that you have some interest in. He should get the most targets, I believe, on the team. Juju Smith-Schuster's not going to be a thing if Demario Douglas is healthy. If, you know, frankly, even if Devontae Parker's healthy. Remember, there's nobody else available in this. In this, I'm not picking up Juju Smith-Schuster moving forward. It's Ezekiel Elliott and nothing else for the New England Patriots. And like I said, the Steelers, it's just bad. Just bad offensively. You know, they just don't have the talent. Firing Matt Canada definitely means at least we'll be getting a new offensive coordinator next season. That's all we really hope for. But for this year, there's only so much you can do with Mitchell Trubisky at the quarterback position. Hopefully, Kenny Pickett does come back. I can't believe I'm even saying that, but we are at that point where we're hoping Kenny Pickett can come back within the next week by your playoff week. Hopefully, get some value back to the running backs. Maybe some value back to George Pickens, who's completely worthless. And I said that kind of going into the Operation Domination episode on Wednesday night. Totally out on George Pickens. Really, frankly, even being on my roster right now in the playoff leagues. He's one of those guys where, like, does he probably have more value than some of the other guys on your waiver wire? Sure. But I also kind of want to drop him just to leave a little landmine out there. Just to get somebody to think that, hey, you know what? This guy's too valuable. Let me pick him up and let me play him. Because that would be a mistake. Sometimes you get to the playoffs. You get to these points like this. We go off with name value. You get stuck on it. And you want to make the wrong decisions. Sometimes I like to put those guys out there in the waiver wire. I'm not saying he's a must drop if you don't want to, but for that strategy purpose, it's something I would do. And I would still do. Because it's not getting any better for the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Okay, so after all that is said and done, let's move on to our next game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Atlanta Falcons, Tampa Bay winning in breaking, game-breaking comeback fashion. Falcons stink. Man, are they bad. That whole NFC South is so bad, though. It's not like the Buccaneers are a good team. It just, at least offensively, they've been able to make some things look a little bit nicer. But we'll get into all that in just a second. Let's hit our, let's get to our, our, our zeros here. And uh, this was more of a wrong, this was not a zero because the players stunk. This was a wrong call by me earlier in the week. I didn't have Drake London in my top 36. I had him ranked at 37 and coming into the day. He's been too volatile. Bijan Robinson has been getting more work, more steady work like he should. That's been the good thing coming out of Atlanta. But when it comes to the pass catchers, comes to Drake London, comes to Kyle Pitts, the usage has been wildly inconsistent. And when we're must-win situations, which many people were in Week 14, even though it's not the playoffs just yet, I wasn't trusting Drake London. I was very aware that Tampa Bay has a very banged-up secondary and a passing attack you've been able to take advantage of all season long. But you don't ever trust Desmond Ritter to actually go to his guys with the ball like he's supposed to. But in this game, he did. He hit straight London for 11 targets, 10 catches, and 172 yards. A lot of which were badly thrown balls that Drake London, because he's so good, was able to make plays on the ball. But this is the thing. Drake London has this big game. I'm going to feel no more confident in him next week in my playoff round. This doesn't make me feel like I need to play him next week. I probably will have him ranked outside my top 36 again, which is rare. When you have guys who have performances for 172 yards, they're like must plays next week. 
regardless. He's not. And it's because of Desmond Ritter. Now, here's what I will say. When we've established this pattern here at this point in the season, if Atlanta is playing a team that does not have a good secondary and they're at home, that being the key point, then Drake London does have a chance and probably should be a top 36 receiver in those situations. Tisman Ritter's terrible on the road. That's number one. And they play a defense that has any kind of secondary. He doesn't try to force the ball over to Drake London like he should. So that's why I still don't trust him on a week-in, week-out basis. But at least now we have a way in which we can play him when that situation calls over the next three weeks. The other zero, of course, this one, everybody got wrong. Mike Evans, six targets, one catch, eight yards. This just dudded everybody out. In a big week, in a big spot for a guy who's been a top five wide receiver all year long for a matchup that had no A.J. Terrell. This Atlanta defense was banged up. And they just, the Tammy Buccaneers came back and won this game without him. He did have a touchdown, waved off. So he wasn't targeted in the red zone, but still. That is not the type of performance that you're hoping for out of a Mike Evans in a spot like that. All right, let's switch gears. Let's go into our heroes for this game. Rashad White. Rashad White, he's not just a hero for this game. He's been a hero your entire run here getting into the playoffs. 25 carries, 102 yards, two catches, 33 yards. Gets the receiving touchdown. What's been really positive about Rashad White and why he's a top 10 play and might remain a top 10 play for the rest of the season. It's not just the volume that he's getting overall. It's the fact that now the past few weeks, he's actually been able to get 100 yards rushing. He was staying alive because of his passing attack, but now he can get the job done on the ground on top of it. Rashad White's going to be an RB1 the rest of the way. He's going to give you even more capital. It, well, it should even more value than what the capital you spent on him during draft day when it wasn't looking like that for the longest time this season. That's why fantasy football is, in fact, a roller coaster and why we learn things new every single week. But yes, Rashad White, absolute hero for this week in this game. All right, let's talk about our observational notes. So the guy I want to talk about is Kyle Pitts. He scored in this game. Uh, he actually put up a decent stat line because he scored a touchdown in this game. We hadn't seen Kyle Pitts score in forever at this point. As a matter of fact, we even give him a little uh, hallelujah there for him. Finally found the end zone. But here's the caveat. Before you start thinking, okay, maybe Kyle Pitts can be a top 12 guy. Maybe maybe we're on to something here right before the playoff run. And you've been looking and streaming at tight ends. And Pitts is somebody who's been pretty available. Not quite under 50% available, but pretty available in quite a few leagues because owners have just been rightfully so frustrated. Janu Smith was still the number one targeted tight end here. Still at seven targets. The, the Kyle Pitts is six. So as much as Pitts had a good game here, as much as you probably want to use him, as much as we jump on the Pitts bandwagon anytime he shows us any sign of life whatsoever, I have to say I'd highly recommend not going down that route. Unfortunately. Because he was still out, like I said, he was still out-targeted by Janu Smith. He's still not featured in this system like he should be. He's still not on the field enough. Still not on the field enough. He's only on the field in certain packages. It's ridiculous. It's a crime. But I guess Arthur Smith can only get one guy involved at a time. So why don't we go ahead and enter our next matchup here, Detroit and Chicago. <laughs> what happened to Detroit's defense? Remember earlier in the year when the, this, this defense was surprising people? We thought they might actually be decent. Like, I, look, I looked at it personnel-wise, and... The front line's pretty decent, but going into the season, I thought for sure this would be a defense you'd still be able to throw the ball all over. Well, when the season first started off, that was not the case. This, this team was actually winning because of this defense in the first few weeks of the season. Now it's looking more like the Detroit defense that I expected us to be able to see. A Detroit defense that you can take advantage of, especially passing the football. Now they didn't give up a ton on the ground here, and we're going to get into all that in just a second, but that's the matchup you want. Should bode well most of the time 
for fantasy. Most of the time, if they're going to have this bad defense that you can throw on, and of course they have an offense that could put up some points, it should bode well for fantasy. Didn't quite go out that way here in Chicago, and that leads us into our zeros of the week. So first and foremost, our first zero has to be uh, Roshan Johnson. This is a wrong call by me. We didn't know exactly who was going to be the starting running back of the Chicago Bears. Nobody did. Nobody did. Even beat writers didn't seem to have a clear-cut idea of who it was going to be. And the ones who did put their opinions out there, most of them said they thought it was going to be Roshan. It would make some sense, right? Roshan led in snaps right before they had the bye week. They're a team that's not going to go to the playoffs. So maybe it's time to start playing your younger guys and just see what you have going into next season. But instead of all that, we saw Dante Foreman come back and be the lead guy. Now, Dante Foreman's played very well. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but it doesn't make much sense for Chicago one, to be winning games like this against Detroit, frankly, and just screwing up their draft capital. But two, for a guy who's on a one-year contract and a veteran journeyman player, what does it matter? The only thing I could come up with is that maybe, maybe Matt Everflus is just convinced that his job is on the line. And maybe it is. And that's why he's trying to be as competitive as he possibly can be and win these games. But as a result now, we have a three-man committee, sort of, Dante Foreman leading the way. Snap-wise, you wouldn't see on the box board, but snap-wise, it was Roshan Johnson. Who was playing over Khalil Herbert. And then Khalil Herbert came up in the rear. So Herbert, based off of this usage that we got today, he's droppable. You, you can go ahead and just flush him down the toilet, frankly, if you want to. Prepare to be flushed. Roshan Johnson, I'd hold on to him because I think the logically this still prevails and at some point we're going to see him take over. And Dr. Foreman is going to be somebody who's a must-add if he's out there on your waiver wire. Now, while I'm going to add him, I'm going to add this caveat. We're in the playoffs next week. I don't want to trust the Chicago backfield if I can help it in any kind of capacity whatsoever. But let's go to my next zero, which is Jared Goff. Jared Goff goes for 161, a touchdown, and two interceptions this game. I know Chicago's defense has been playing better as of late. I know this game was outside in the cold, something Jared Goff frankly does not handle well. But still, it's the Chicago Bears. While their defense has been playing better as of late, you're still the Detroit Lions. You have a good offense with the best offensive line in all of the NFL. You should be able to move the football. And because Jared Goff was so bad... Uh, guys like Amon Ross St. Brown and Sam LaPorta, who you're banking on to help you be key guys to win games, especially what should be on paper a good matchup for those two. They weren't able to do anything in this game. And the reason why they're not on my zero list is because it was Jared Goff's fault, who I also had finishing as a 12th quarterback for the week. So I had him as a low-end QB1, and I was wrong on that point, and he... You know, torpedo some other guys in the process. But okay, let's let's go ahead and switch gears. Let's go into our heroes for this game. And that would be Justin Fields. Justin Fields, 223 yards, a passing touchdown, 58 yards on the ground, and a rushing touchdown to boots. Justin Fields has come back off of his injury, and he's been everything that we were hoping he could be for fantasy football purposes. The rushing floor ceiling that he brings every single week makes him a must-play QB1. And right now, the quarterbacks, you know, Justin Herbert got hurt today. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. It continues to get thinner at the top-end quarterback positions. You look at these top 12 quarterbacks, pretty soon we're going to have to start considering backups to be starters in our playoff runs because that's how thin it's getting. So when you have that going on and you have a guy like Justin Fields running the way he is, he could be one of those guys that helps you get to your championship run. Absolutely great stuff we had out of Justin Fields there. All right, so let's let's talk about these observational notes here for this game. Uh, really, everything was pretty much straightforward. 
as far as a bad, as far as a good. The only thing I could take out of note moving forward was that James, Jameson Williams, for the first time this season, had the second most snaps on the Detroit Lions. Played two more snaps than Josh Reynolds did. So and while you're not going to see on the box score, he didn't do a whole hell of a lot. I think he only had one opportunity to boot. It is the first time we've got to see that happen. Look, this is what a first round pick. We know he's explosive. Now, I know what you're saying to me. It's like, well, we're in the playoffs. I'm not playing guys. I can't trust to get the ball. 100% totally agree. But if you have a spot on your roster, if, you, if you've solidified everything you need for your playoff matchup, because that's first and foremost, but if you have a spot on your roster after all that's said and done, of a guy that maybe catches fire because Detroit doesn't play any more games outside for the rest of the season. It's somebody I might think about stashing on the back end of my bench. That's that's all I'm saying. If you have the room for it, if you're set to go everywhere else for the playoffs. Let's go to our next game. Let's talk about the Colts and the Cincinnati Bengals. And uh, I just, I just want to get into the zeros because this was a tough one for me to, to swallow here. Okay, so we got Josh Downs, right? And Josh Downs, he came back off his injury a couple weeks ago. And right off the bat, he gets 13 targets. And you're thinking, okay, especially full point, half point PPR. We're going back to the Josh Downs being a wide receiver three, being a nice little strong flex play here. Got a nice matchup going up against the Cincinnati Bengals, whose secondary is even more banged up after last week, losing Brett Taylor. And now Josh Downs is just like way down the total pole when it comes to Michael Pittman. There's a whole gap here. Three targets, three catches, 32 yards. That's it. He was always playing behind Alec Pierce. That's that's no different here. But the difference is that he's not getting the eight, nine, ten targets right in line with Michael Pittman that he was getting earlier in the season. Now, that's something I think maybe the Colts get back to at some point. But right now, I don't think Josh Downs can be considered a wide receiver 36 or higher going into your Week 15 matchup. The next one, though, Jamar Chase. Everybody was wrong on Jamar Chase. This is just a bummer. Doesn't change anything. Four targets, three catches, 29 yards. The good news is Jake Browning looked good for the second week in a row, which means we can go from being hopeful to being confident that this offense has the ability to function as it was created to do so, meaning guys like Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, maybe even C. Higgins can still be considered fantasy relevant. You still should be starting Jamar Chase every single week, along with Joe Mixon, who we're going to talk about in a second. This is just a bummer of a game, and hopefully, though, you're still in the playoffs, and you'll be able to play Jamar Chase. Now, let's switch over to our heroes. And our hero, Joe Mixon, 21 to carry, 79 yards, a rushing touchdown, four targets, three catches, and 46 yards. Joe Mixon is getting hot at the right time for your fantasy football seasons. And I'm going to add this caveat in too. Chase Brown, who he had, he had what, the 60-yard, I think it was a 54-yard receiving touchdown off a screen in this one, played the most he's played all season long, and it did not deter Joe Mixon from getting 25 opportunities. Now, part of this is that pro game script helps a lot. In the last couple of weeks, Cincinnati Bengals have had pro game script, and Joe Mixon's been able to get over 20-some opportunities as a result of that. My point, though, is this. The extra usage for Chase Brown does not come at the expense of Joe Mixon. And, in fact, it's probably a good thing for the offense. It gives them a little lightning rod. It helps the drives keep this longer because they have a guy you can go to to make a quick play out of the backfield, be a home run threat. But he's not a threat, I think, because of his size and also because of his inability to pass protect to really ever unseat Joe Mixon during your fantasy football playoff run. So Joe Mixon, a hero, and it doesn't matter that Chase Brown is getting a little more involved. That's the good news there. Okay, so when we go to the notes part of this game, the thing I walked away with was Zach Moss. I, I, I put my concerns out there. I still had him as an RB2 as a 16 play, but I was way lower in ECR. ECR had him as a top five running back this week, and I did not agree with that because Zach Moss, to me, one, he doesn't look like he's quite 100% yet. The injury he picked up a few weeks ago seems to be something that's still hindering him because he doesn't have the same explosiveness that he had earlier on the season. I think anybody can see that when they're watching the games, if you watched them at all early in the year compared to what we've seen now of the past two weeks, where he hasn't been able to even get to three yards a carry. Now, he's still getting all the volume the past two weeks, and I don't think that's going to change. It's especially not going to change when the guy behind him is Trey Sermon, as long as Jonathan Taylor's out. Now, this is the part that I think is interesting. 
I don't know if the Colts initially were planning on bringing Taylor back during the regular season, but they're still in that last playoff spot as of right now. And Zach Moss has been bad. So I think if there's any chance that Jonathan Taylor gets the green light, medically speaking, I think he'll be back as soon as he's available and ready to go because Zach Moss has not been good and because they are fighting for their playoff lives at this point. Zach Moss, two weeks in a row, not good. Now, like I said, Taylor's out again. You still get all the volume. You're probably going to have to play him again next week. But the magic of Zach Moss, I think, is wearing off a little bit where we have to adjust those expectations in your lineups moving forward. And maybe you have a better option than him at an RB2. That, that could also be the case. Let's go to our next game. The Jacksonville Jaguars, Cleveland Browns. Man, this game felt like... It took forever to end, and I think it was the last one o'clock game to end. But it's like they had so much more time on the board than like anybody else. I don't know what was going on. I was only seeing this game in red zone. This is not one of the games that I was tuning into on my main screen and just watching that one. Tune it in the red zone, uh, and you know, we of course we see Cleveland get the win here. We got some big news to talk about. I don't have any zeros in this game. Pretty much anybody you would have played from a fantasy standpoint came through for you one way or another. Maybe it wasn't the biggest game in the world, or maybe it was with some of these guys. But ultimately, anybody who played in this one gave you at least something, gave you at least a floor. Maybe the biggest one would have been Calvin Ridley, potentially, but he's somebody we've kind of learned that, especially in a matchup like this, it was bad weather against Cleveland Browns. I don't think we had uber high expectations for Calvin Ridley anyway, even if he was just a flex play. So let's talk about those heroes. And the heroes for this one are the tight ends. David Njoku, eight targets, six catches, 91 yards, and two touchdowns in this game. Coming off a week where people were a little bit worried because they're like, well, Joe Flacco didn't really look David Njoku's way. Well, Joe Flacco has made a career out of throwing the ball to the tight end position. I wasn't really concerned as, uh, for that. Now, David Njoku, this is one of his best games, if not his best game of his career. We don't really see him go off like this very often, even though we know he's got the athletic ability to do so. What we do know now is that David Njoku, along with Amari Cooper, can both eat in the passing game because of the upgrade at quarterback. And I want to save that piece of analysis for our observational notes. Our other hero for this week was Evan Ingram. Look at Evan Ingram go, baby. 12 targets, 11 catches, 95 yards, and two touchdowns in a tough matchup. You weren't sure what we're going to get out of Trevor Lawrence. How well is he going to play on the high ankle sprain? What was the weather going to be like? And we talked about this a little bit last week where guys like Deontay Johnson, Jacoby Myers, they go through these long droughts at the touchdown position. And then once they score one and get that lid off, then all of a sudden they start flooding in and start trying to catch up their touchdown regression in like three games. That's what's going on with Evan Ingram. Scores last week and he scores two touchdowns this week. Just solidifying the fact that he's your every week tight end play. Even if he hasn't necessarily been amongst the elite options this season. But feeling much, much better about him moving forward. Okay. So let's start with the notes. The big one, the big headline, of course, Joe Flacco is going to be the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns for the rest of the season. And frankly, what we've gotten out of him the last two weeks has been better than anything Cleveland's gotten out of any quarterback. And that includes Deshaun Watson so far this season. The good th- good side of this, Amari Cooper, he had double-digit targets in this game. That's definitely a good positive for him. David Njoku, we saw, we just talked about him, how he goes off. The running the backfield situation is well, it's it doesn't change anything there. Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt still splitting based on situation and based on down. Nothing's different in that side effect. But what could be different for the running backs is that maybe they go on more longer drives, more scoring opportunities for both of these guys because Joe Flacco clearly is, 38-year-old man off the couch two weeks ago, clearly is the best quarterback the Cleveland Browns have to offer and is moving this offense pretty well. So, yeah, you got to feel good about this all the way around with Joe Flacco being the quarterback the rest of the way. The other note I have for this, Trevor Lawrence. I know he had the three picks, and I know Jacksonville comes away with the loss. So if you listen to NFL circles, you're, they're not going to be as high about Trevor Lawrence's performances past week. But frankly, I personally was kind of impressed. One week, not even a week, on a high ankle sprain, and this guy's playing through it. First of all, I, I, I tweeted this out too. He's tough. 
He's he he might be the toughest quarterback, or he's he's at least one of the toughest quarterbacks. Hasn't missed a start, and there's been multiple times where he thought he should miss, and somehow he finds a way to go back out there. And he's yes, he had the three picks, but he still had three touchdowns in this game. From a fantasy standpoint, he actually still was like a lower end QB one, high end QB two. He wasn't bad against Cleveland Browns defense in bad weather on one leg. I was impressed by Trevor Lawrence. I, I really was. So the good news on that end is that, well, the wide receivers got their their targets, right? I, I know none of them went off as far as Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones, but Zay Jones had 12 targets. Calvin Ridley had 11 targets. Those are where the targets are going. Parker Washington, I wasn't a big fan about the Parker Washington. I know he's playing Christian Kirk's role, but I think he's just going to be out there to play the role and kind of run the treadmill here, just run the cardio. I don't expect much out of him. Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley, those guys are going to eat. Evan Ingram, he's going to eat. Of course, Travis Etienne's going to have his. Uh, he, he scored again today. The good news for the Jacksonville Jaguars is that they don't have to pivot to CJ Pathar. There was, <clears throat> excuse me, there wasn't any uh, notice about there being any kind of setback for Lawrence in this game. So we have no reason to think he won't be the starting quarterback next week. And so from a fantasy standpoint, like I said, the quarterback room has been thinning out. He got even a little bit thinner this week. He could be a low in QB one, high in QB two based on the matchup. And he keeps everybody else to be depending upon fantasy relevant too. Let's go to our next game, Carolina and the new Orleans saints, saints to care business. Carolina just, they got nothing to offer offensively, but I do have a wrong call here that I got to talk about with Adam Thielen. Now, just barely. Adam Thielen wasn't anything special, but I talked about him being in line with like a George Pickens where he's one of those guys to me that I think he's a landmine. And you know what? I still think he's a landmine. I still think he's one of those guys you drop and you try to get somebody else to pick them up based on name value and think that they should play him and then wind up finding out that he doesn't have much of a ceiling to offer. He's not going to be the guy who beats you or wins you the week. Now, what he showed this week and why I have to have this as a wrong call, why he has to, have to be a zero for me, is that I didn't have him inside my top 36. And he's going to wind up being a flex play with his seven targets, five catch, 74 yards. My big knock for Adam Thielen is that since Thomas Brown's been calling the plays, he has not once had a more than five-yard A dot. He did this week. That was the first time. Again, not taking this as in we must play Adam Thielen. I probably will still err on the side of, I don't want to. But what I will say is that I was wrong, at least for this week. We'll see how this plays out, but I still rather not trust it if I can at all help it. Now, I don't have any heroes for this game. I mean, Chris Olave scored, but I had him as a top 12 receiver. He's not going to have that kind of performance with a four-catch, 28-yard performance. Nobody really went off. Even Al Kamara, he had 12 carries, 51 yards, and a touchdown. And, and that's where it brings me to my note that I want to talk about here for this game. Jamal Williams is more involved than he has been at any point this season. Now, part of that is because Taysom Hill was out dealing with the hand, the foot injuries. They wound up having to rule him out this week. So that's probably a big reason why Jamal Williams was as involved as he was. It doesn't make any sense. They shouldn't have bothered. I mean, Carolina is so bad against the run, and Alvin Kamara is your best offensive weapon against that. I don't know why they wouldn't just stick with Kamara. But honestly, even though he did have a good game, I just feel like against Carolina in this spot, Olave's dealing with the flu. Derek Carr's banged up and, you know, coming off of a week where we're surprised he was able to go, that Kamara just didn't get more involved. And they just didn't let him dominate. Jamal Williams kind of ate away at that. So it's something we're going to have to watch. He only had five less snaps than Kamara in this one. On the flip side of that, in my other notes, the other backfield for Carolina, Chuba Hubbard dominated playing time. Now, if you look at the box score, you're going to see that Miles Sanders had 10 carries for 74 yards. You're probably going to think he's a little bit more involved and a little bit more effective than what he actually was. It wasn't close as far as the overall snaps and the overall playing time is concerned. This was Chuba Hubbard all the way. We have now a couple weeks in a row, especially since the firing of Frank Reich, where Hubbard is the man. I still don't always trust him to produce, but if he's going to get over 20 opportunities every single week, it's hard to get out of the running backs. He's probably going to be your lineup's more times than not, especially since he is now well ahead of Miles Sanders in that pecking order. <clears throat> Let's take a travel over to New York to the Houston Jets game. This probably wound up being the worst weather game of all of them this week. 
downpours. There was 50 mile an hour winds at some or certain points. So it, it was just kind of bad with weather all the way around. It was also bad for something else. And, and this is where you know, I got to get into the zeros a little bit here. And this wasn't a wrong call. And they're not even a zero as in they just disappointed performance-wise. Your fantasy lineups, yes, they, they disappointed in that standpoint. Because C.J. Stroud and Nico Collins get injured in this game and aren't able to put up any points before they got injured. C.J. Stroud is going to be getting evaluated for concussion, which means next week, unfortunately, next week is going to come into question as far as his availability. Your first round, your playoffs, it stinks because C.J. Stroud has helped a lot of teams get to the point to be in the playoffs. And the idea that you might not have him for that first round, it's a crappy feeling. And it's fantasy football. Like I said, the quarterback room got thinner between Herbert and potentially C.J. Stroud next week. Now, we've seen a couple of players now be able to get through concussion protocol in a week. We weren't seeing that earlier in the year. We are starting to see that a little bit more now. Hopefully that is the case, but I am not as hopeful because this wasn't a situation where it came out after the game and they're just being a little more precautious than they were they needed to necessarily. No, this is a situation where he got knocked out of this game about halfway through when it was still a ball game and got rolled out pretty quickly. So I think we're going to see C.J. Trout really have to go through it this week in order to be able to come back. And Eagle Collins Collins with the calf issue, you know, obviously we're not going to know the extent of that until later on the week. And we will have Brian Scott on on Thursday to talk about it then, too. Make sure you tune into our YouTube channel and subscribe and hit the bell notification. We'll be there at 930. But if Nico Collins is going to miss time, Tank Dell's gone. Well, that's going to start leaving us with Noah Brown. Now, playing snap-wise, Robert Woods, Xavier Hutchinson were actually the top two receivers. Noah Brown just two snaps behind those guys and still getting the majority of the targets, or at least six targets compared to five compared to three. So I do think Noah Brown is the number one receiver as far as playmaking ability goes and perhaps even target share goes. We will see those other guys involved as far as playing time is concerned. But it's null and void, in my opinion, if it's not C.J. Stroud out there. We've seen Davis Mills and what he does not bring to the table, (laughs) frankly, when we put it down to it. So for Nico Collins, Noah Brown, Noah Brown's value, I think, does go up if Nico Collins' injury winds up being severe and C.J. Stroud is going to miss only a week, if that. But that's where we're at with the Houston Texans. Just more unfortunateness there. We do have heroes in this game, believe it or not. Garrett Wilson, 14 targets, 9 catches, 108 yards. And then Brees Hall, 10 carries, 40 yards, 9 targets, 8 catches, 86 yards, and a touchdown. Brees Hall only getting 10 carries in this game. But like he has done for the past few weeks, getting the job done through the air and in a big way this week. Now, the real hero of the game should be Zach Wilson, who had the best game of his career. It's, it's not even close. And that, that's what was hilarious to me. And, of course, that, that goes into our observational notes here. So let, let's, let's talk about that. So Zach Wilson, who reportedly, I don't know how true it is, but I think it was just weird that there was a report like this out there to begin with, reportedly had to have Aaron Rodgers talk him into coming back and starting for the Jets while he was on the roster, which was unfathomable at the time. Now, of course, he does make the start and he has a career game. So that's going to, you know, that's going to go by the wayside. All the reporting that happened last week, that's going to be forgotten. We know this is not what Zach Wilson is. I wish he could be the next Jake Browning. (laughs) <laughs> I know, right? Zach Wilson, the number two pick. We're hoping he can be the next Jake Browning, a backup quarterback to Joe Burrow, who's just playing well right now. But that, we wish he could be Jake Browning. Come in, keep play within your strengths, do what you're supposed to do. Get the ball out to your playmakers, to your fantasy football playmakers, and just call it a day. Don't try to do too much. I mean, I wish Zach Wilson, that's what he would do. I'd like to see there's hope that he could do that after a performance like this, but we've seen enough of Zach Wilson to know what he is. Now, having said all that, it doesn't mean my hopefulness or at least the floor of which I think we can now expect for Garrett Wilson and a Brees Hall is established more so with Zach Wilson's starting quarterback the rest of the way. 
you saw it in this game. I mean, the one thing I give Wilson is that even when he was playing bad before, he was still making sure he got Wilson and Brees Hall the ball. And since Michael Carter's been gone, Brees Hall's been so involved in the passing game that you haven't really noticed the fact that he's been terrible as a runner over the past month. It's been awful. But he's getting enough done in the passing game to keep your fantasy hopes alive. You can feel more confident about a Wilson and a Brees Hall moving forward. All right, let's talk about that Rams-Baltimore game. And uh, we had I, had I had some bad calls, and I had some bad calls in this one. So let's get let's get to the zeros. Gus Edwards, not only a wrong call by me because I had him as an RB three, a high end RB three at that because he's somebody who's been finding the end zone with regularity, and I was expecting a pro game script. I mean, Baltimore's defense has been super dominant, especially when at home. I wasn't expecting the Rams to make this an overtime shootout game. That's not what I was anticipating. And then as a result, Gus Edwards only gets six carries for 15 yards. I mean, it wasn't lost on me that Keaton Mitchell's been eating into that playing time. And maybe even overtakes him as far as who plays more. But Gus Edwards still has a very specific role within this offense. And I don't think that changes. But it was certainly a disappointing performance here. My other zero, because this was a wrong call, not because the player played poorly, was Cooper Cup. 10 targets, 8 catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown. You know what I did this week for the first time ever? Took Cooper Cup out of my top 12. And didn't even put him as a wide receiver, too. Put him all the way down at wide receiver 28. I made him a wide receiver 3 in my rankings. And this is the week he decided to show, hey, I'm still Cooper Cup. BTW, still over here. And just lit it up against a defense that's top 10 against wide receivers. Like, <laughs> just... I just can't win. Just, just flat out, just, just cannot win. But it was good to see Cooper Cup be able to get back on track. You have more confidence about him moving forward, at least. All right, so let's let's switch to our heroes because yes, I might have some wrong calls, but I had some good calls too. And that was OBJ, who I had ranked well inside my top thirty-six. Thought he was a really good wide receiver three flex play to have in your lineups this week, and I was right. Four catches, ninety-seven yards, and a touchdown. Now. Here's where I want to make a little note about OBJ. He had 10 targets in this game. We've been talking about it without Mark Andrews, who's going to be the number one pass-catching weapon within this offense. We thought maybe it would be Zay Flowers. It is not. It is OBJ. OBJ is the number one weapon that I want to play from a fantasy football standpoint for the Ravens. Zay Flowers wound up having a good game because he got into the end zone. But it's OBJ first, Zay Flowers second. So keep that in mind. The other good call or the other good thing they see for a hero standpoint was Lamar Jackson. 316 yards, three touchdowns, and 70 yards on the ground. If you were playing Lamar Jackson, of course I had him ranked as a must-start too, like everybody else does. You're going to have to. But it was just nice to see him finally have a Lamar Jackson-esque game. I guess the defense has been pretty stingy this season, surprisingly so. He's just been in a slump, and it was just good to see him get back and being Lamar Jackson in this one just in time for when you need him the most. So it gives you a little more confidence about him being able to move forward. What's my note for this game? Talking about the quarterback position, talking about it thinning out and everything else. Matthew Stafford is, I think, a a must-stream. I guess that would make him a must-start, essentially, but... You got to pick him up first. He's been on my waiver wire rankings list for the last few weeks. I have a feeling he's probably still less than 50% owned because I don't think anybody was itching to play Stafford against the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. I know I wasn't. I had him ranked as such as a low end QB too, but he's been on a tear. Been over 20 fantasy points in the last three weeks in a row. Now he's done it the last two weeks against Cleveland, then Baltimore. So he had two tough defenses at that he had to overcome. And now the rest of his schedule lightens up to get Washington next week. Can't get a better matchup than that. The Saints, it's a little tougher, but that game's in Los Angeles, so that does help. And the Saints defense is not as good as we thought it would be this season. Don't get swept away by the fact that they just dominated Bryce Young. Everybody dominates Bryce Young on the defensive side of the ball. That's nothing new. So he gets the Saints there. It is in Los Angeles, so I feel okay about that game. And then Week 17 plays the Giants. 
So Stafford's got a, a really decent, nice three-week schedule coming up. If you had a Herbert, if CJ Stroud and you're in trouble, Stafford's the pickup. He's already been my number one pickup the last couple of weeks anyway at the quarterback position. But I think at this point now, I think we can trust Stafford even in tough spots that he can perform. Because now you have a healthy Cooper Cup and a Puka Nakua playing the way he is. Kyron Williams back on that offense. That offense is giving you something with Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford, who's healthy. So I actually like Stafford quite a bit as a top pickup for the rest of the fantasy football playoffs for your quarterback position. Okay, so let's talk about this next game. We don't have to spend too much time on it. I'm not going to torture you with it. It was torture enough having to watch this game. We had the Minnesota Vikings taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, I could really make the zero just the game. Just like the fact that we had... Just just, just the fact that we had... <laughs> I, don't, I, don't even, like, I don't even... In fact, we had three points in this game. We went we went four quarters, almost four quarters, till somebody finally put some points on the board. The fact that we had nothing go right for us, like everyone lost. But the big loser was Josh Dobbs. He is the zero of the week. And I had him as a higher in QB2. I mean, a Raiders matchup, it's not terrible on paper. They have been playing better as of late, but it's still not a bad matchup. You had Justin Jefferson coming back. Jordan Addison was there. TJ Hawkinson, the running backfield was there. Just thought Dobbs was somebody that I didn't have as a starter, but somebody I thought you could potentially play if you needed to. And then he gets benched for Nick Mullins almost at the halfway point of this game. And now we go to next week. We already had some controversy coming out of the bye week about who would be the starting quarterback. And now Dobbs has another terrible game. It looks like he's just, he's just come back to the reality. He's just come back to what Josh Dobbs always was before. So I think there's probably a decent chance, even though he didn't perform that well, because they did get the win though at the end. I think there's a decent chance we're gonna see we're gonna see Nick Mullins be the starting quarterback next week. Go to heroes. Uh, oh, that's right. No one was a hero. Yeah. So we don't we don't have any heroes for this game. <laughs> nobody was a hero. No nobody you're depending on from a fantasy standpoint did did that well for you. The notes the notes are the injuries. Alexander Madison, Justin Jefferson, Josh Jacobs all got hurt in this game. Jefferson actually had to go to the hospital. Now, it sounds like the the hospital trip in and of itself was more precautious than anything else. But he had a serious enough injury where they, they felt like they needed to take him to the hospital to make sure he was clear to go home on the flight back to Minnesota. Just got him back. Didn't give you anything before getting out either. That's the other bad part about this. So we're going to have to watch that now. Madison gets hurt. Maybe it's Ty Chandler time. We'll see what that injury is going to be like. Josh Jacobs, same thing. Now, the Jacobs case, it happened late enough in the game where we didn't get a real good chance to look at exactly what the backfield split would look like without him. But I'm not going to get too excited if you're looking to pick up running backs on the waiver wire to pick up who I think is going to be the Josh Jacobs backup. Because here's the thing. I think it's going to be just a platoon situation between Zamir White and Amir Abdullah. Maybe Zamir White handles early downs. Maybe Abdullah is more of the pass catching guy. I mean, that would definitely fit as far as what their roles have been most of their career. But I am not, I don't think there's going to be a one for one handcuff for Josh Jacobs if, in fact, he's going to wind up missing any time. So that was the big thing in this game. Three major injuries that we're going to have to watch throughout the week. Let's talk about Seattle and San Francisco. So San Francisco wins this game again. It was more competitive than the last time they played, but still felt like it was never going to be Seattle who was going to pull this game out. We do have some zeros in this game, so let's get into that. The Seattle backfield, that, that's the zero for me. Uh, had Kenneth Walker in my top 24. He's healthy. He's Kenneth Walker. We know it only takes one play. I know it's a tough matchup here, but going up against San Francisco, we do Eric Armstead wasn't going to be available. They actually had some more injuries throughout this game, too, on the defensive side of the ball. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, we know what Walker's role usually is. He's a starting running back. We know it only takes one play for him to hit big. There might be some vulnerability in that defensive line. I had it in my top 24. I was wrong to do so. He split time with Zach Charbonnet. They split time on what I think their roles are really going to be. Walker handling early down work. 
more involved, the more pro the game script is for Seattle. He had eight carries, 21 yards, five targets, four catches, 33 yards in this game. Zach Charbonnet plays more when it's a negative game script and passing situations. They both get carries, they both get catches, but one's on the field more than the other, depending upon what the game script's going to be. Even though in the box score, Zach Charbonnet only had one target, one catch for four yards. He did play more in those situations that were passing situations, though. He had nine carries, 44 yards on top of it. So this is not just a zero for this game. It was a tough matchup. There will be better days over the next couple of weeks ahead. The problem is now that we know we have a full-blown two-man committee between these two, which just makes it that much more complicated and limits their ceilings that much more. So I think we're looking at the Seattle backfield as maybe nothing more than high-end RB3 plays unless one emerges or one gets injured. But let's switch gears, because in a game like this, you better believe we had a lot of heroes. Debo Samuel, who I did rank ahead of Brandon Ayuk because... Well, Seattle runs a lot of zone, and Debo Samuel is a zone killer. And boy, did he kill it today. Nine turning targets, seven receptions, 149 yards, touchdown. And then he gets the one rushing yard, one rushing touchdown run to seal the deal for San Fran in this one. He's just on fire. Two wide receiver one-like performances back-to-back weeks now for Debo Samuel. Killed Philly last week, killed Seattle this week. Looks healthy, looks great getting used in a Swiss Army knife way. Outside of Christian McCaffrey, I think the number two weapon there, the 1B, the 1A, the 1C, the 1D. But I think the I think the 1B to Christian McCaffrey is Debo Samuel moving forward in your fantasy football playoffs. Not to take away from Brandon Ayuk, who also had a very good game in this one and is still a must-start at your wide receiver position. That does not change this in any kind of capacity. But I think it's Debo Samuel, not Brandon Ayuk, who will be ranking ahead of moving forward. Brock Purdy is the other hero. So remember, there was a time in which, you know, the, the, the idea is that with San Francisco, the downfall with them from a fantasy standpoint is that because everyone's so good, you can only get one to two guys to actually go off. And you never knew exactly what those one to two guys were. I mean, you always knew CMC was going to be in the mix, but it was going to be, okay, who, who's going to be the other guy? Because they wouldn't get everybody involved. That hasn't been the, pay, the case kept past couple of weeks, and that's because of Brock Purdy. So here on this game, 368 yards to the air, two touchdowns. He had the pick. The pick wasn't his fault. It bounced off the hands of Brandon Ayuk, who ran short of a route. There was a miscommunication. It wasn't Purdy's fault that that was picked off. But since Purdy's been playing the way he has, especially over this last five-game stretch, everyone in San Francisco has been able to eat. Everyone. This is the first game in a month that Brandon Ayuk hasn't scored a touchdown. But he's still at over 126 yards, which is great from a fantasy standpoint. Regardless of that, it's Debo Samuel. George Kittle has been getting into the end zone. CMC, of course, is doing his things. We've hit a point now that because Brock Purdy's playing on this MVP-like level, everybody, every single one of your fantasy football shares in San Francisco is hitting every single week. It's what you always wished could happen, but never got to that point. Their offense is playing video game-like level right now. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And Brock Purdy in his own right, I think he's a top five quarterback the rest of the way. He only has one tough matchup in the fantasy football playoffs. He's got Arizona next week, and then he's got Baltimore week 16, Washington week 17. And if Stafford and the Rams showed you anything, that they went into Baltimore, they put up over 30 points. So I don't know if Baltimore necessarily is as scary of a matchup as we thought it might be either. Because remember that game, that's going to be in San Francisco Christmas Day. Christmas Day night. I think it's a night game. So, yeah. 49ers, loving it. Loving my team. Loving all my fantasy shares of you. Making me feel look good both for, for NFL purposes and fantasy purposes. And it's always great when those two things can come together. What are my notes for this game? Outside of, you know, the gloriness of San Fran. Uh, that was actually Jackson Smith Najigba who led the wide receivers in targets. So DK Metcalf got off to the hot start, and he, he got you what you wanted. But then the 49ers clamped down, despite the fact they lost Travis Ward for the rest of this game. They still clamped down on DK Metcalf. Lockett had a solid game, six catches, 89 yards. But JSN led the team in targets, and he had been playing more and more and more. Uh, I got to see the snap count again on this. This might have been uh, his highest snap count 
that he's had so far. And I pointed out during the Operation Domination episode last Wednesday at 930. We'll be having another one this this Wednesday at 930, by the way. We preview the entire Week 15 matchups with no buys. So it's going to be a big one. But I, I talked about then how he's been playing more and more each week. And that for the most part, you've been kind of usurping Tyler Lockett. But in a way, in a way, it's not great for fantasy purposes. It's like him playing more and more does not make me go, oh, okay, cool. I'm excited about picking up and playing Jack Smith and Jigba. No, the big plays still aren't going to be there. It's still going to be DK Metcalf's uh, route. And the floor is not always necessarily there because it's a battle between him and Tyler Lockett, who's getting those safe intermediate over the middle throws. But it is putting a little bit of a limit especially on Lockett, but I think to some degree on DK Metcalf too and the overall opportunities that those two get. So that's just a note to take away from there. Let's go to our next game. We got Buffalo and Kansas City. So let's get to the zeros first. You know, I, w- I was wrong by ranking of them, of course, but so is everyone else. I'm not taking the heat for this, but what's more concerning is how long this slump has gone on. And of course, I'm talking about Stephon Diggs. Four catches, 24 yards. In a big, big clutch situation matchup, you're thinking to yourself, Stephon Diggs, yes, it's a tough match on paper. Yes, Kansas City's been very good against perimeter wide receivers with their, with their young corner duo that they got going on. And they're legit, by the way, especially Sneed. Oh, man. But you're thinking they're still going to find a way to feature Stephon Diggs. Here's the problem. Since Joe Brady's taken over, Stephon Diggs has not been a wide receiver one. I think he's only had one good game. A few weeks ago, he had 76 yards and a touchdown. So it becomes a little bit concerning. You're going into your fantasy football playoffs, and a guy you've been depending upon to be a wide receiver one all year hasn't really been playing that way, and it correlates to a big major change. Now, I don't think Joe Brady is going into the weekend his game plan saying, I don't want to get Stephon Diggs the ball. And the silver lining here is that he did have 11 targets in this matchup. That's the silver lining for Stefan. So better days should be ahead. Not every matchup is going to be as tough as this one. But it's a little bit alarming. You're hoping Diggs breaks out of his slump soon because you need him to. My other zero was Clyde Edwards-Lair. Upon the news that Isaiah Pacheco was going to miss, I did put Clyde Edwards-Lair inside my top 20. Yes, I knew Jeremy McKinnon was going to be available, but he was still coming off the groin issue. And we know that Jeremy McKinnon's not going to get the majority of the carries. It's not his game. But we didn't know or weren't sure of exactly what his role was going to be or how much volume he was going to see in the passing game. And he did wind up actually scoring a rushing touchdown. Jeremy McKinnon's still playing in the red zone. We got a full two-man committee in the absence of Isaiah Pacheco. Now, here's the other thing about Pacheco. When Andy Reid was asked about whether or not he would go to IR stint, he said, we'll see. Now, it didn't wind up happening. They didn't put the check on the IR. But it still tells you that this shoulder situation that he's dealing with could very well be more than just a one-week absence. So there's a very good chance we're going into next week with Clyde Edwards-Lair and Jarek McKinnon as the two running backs again. And like we saw this week, they're splitting time. McKinnon's the pass catching guy. Clyde Edwards-Lair is the rushing guy, which is kind of what we expected. But McKinnon continues his role where it looked like Pacheco was starting to take over in the red zone. McKinnon went back to being the red zone back, which is what leads to him getting the rushing touchdown. So it puts Clyde Edwards-Lair in a tough spot where he's not getting targets. He's not necessarily getting touchdowns. So I think McKinnon is going to be the more valuable fantasy football running back to have when your team's moving forward as a result of that. Okay, let's let's switch gears here. Let's go let's go to our heroes of the game. Always always like it when we can get more positive. That's Rashid Rice, in my opinion. Had him locked in as a top 24 receiver, and he didn't disappoint. 10 targets, 7 catches, 72 yards, and he picks up a touchdown in this game as well. He's officially now, three weeks in a row, has established himself as the 1B, the Travis Kelsey's 1A, as far as the target share situation is concerned for Kansas City. That's what we've been hoping for. That's what we've been waiting for. One of these receivers to emerge. It is unequivocally Rashi Rice. Now, I don't know if his ceiling's ever going to be a wide receiver one type of guy. I don't know if he's putting up those big, big gaudy numbers that Tyreek Hill used to. He doesn't have that same kind of explosive ability. But if he can have this kind of volume, 
he can be a very good week-in, week-out starter for you. And now he's established himself. I think we can start him as a wide receiver, too, with confidence moving forward. So that was the big hero here. On the same side of the ball, though, that's, that's where I have my note for this one. And that's Patrick Mahomes. So despite the, the strong performance by Rashid Rice, despite this being a big game, despite the Buffalo Bills defense being vulnerable over the past few weeks, especially ever since they had some the major injuries that they lost their guys to, Mahomes still was not able to give you a great fantasy performance. It's going to give you an, another another QB2 performance. I'd already ranked Pax for Mahomes as my QB10 which was well below ECR, who continues to rank him in the top five. Give it the program, guys. Mahomes is great. He's still probably the best quarterback in the NFL from an NFL standpoint. But for fantasy football purposes this year, without having a big play weapon that he can actually go to, there's flat out a cap on his ceiling. The team being able to lean on the defense has hindered the urgency of the offense. And Matt Nagy calling plays, I don't think is doing him any favors either. But it's all irrelevant. What's important is to your lineup. You're going in your playoffs. And right now I look at Patrick Mahomes as nothing more than a guy who's going to be somewhere between my QB 10, QB 12. And we know his floor is more like a low-end QB 2 right now with the way the Chiefs are playing offensively. That's not what you wanted out of Mahomes. That's not what you expect out of Mahomes. And I think because he's been so good for so long and his name value alone, it, it twists your perception of what his value should be in your lineup week in and week out. And as a result to that, you're expecting much bigger things. You need to divorce yourself from the name and just look at the numbers. And the numbers are telling you you're going to have to pick up another quarterback for your fantasy playoff run if you have Patrick Mahomes as your main guy. And there's a very good chance that if you have Mahomes, he's probably your only quarterback. I get it. It's the same strategy I have used in a league or two. Until I traded Mahomes away a few weeks ago, got Parak Purdy right before he went on his hot streak. Thankfully. One of the few good trades. I know it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn. I'll come out and say, it's one of the few good trades that actually went my way. Not, not, not all of them do. But I don't think if you need a ceiling play, during these play these playoff matchups, I don't think Mahomes is the guy you're going to. And I know the QB room is getting thin. It's getting rough. So as a result to that, Mahomes is going to be a top 12 guy. He's going to be a start. But if you want a ceiling, you might want to play a matchup. Maybe you want to pick up a guy like a Matthew Stafford. Might rather play Stafford the rest of the way than Mahomes, to be honest with you. That is where we're at. It's tough. Let's go to our next game. We got the Denver Broncos taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. Actually, the last game we're going to talk about for tonight. And uh, yeah, I, I guess we can get into this. So this, this is the big news, of course. And it's, look, Justin Herbert, I don't put guys who get injured in the game as zeros because they got injured. You can't, you can't anticipate injury. You can't project injury. And I'm not going to hold it against the player and his production, the fact that he got injured. The problem is the why I still have to put him on the zero list here for this is that the injury itself is a zero. Because now you're not going to have Justin Herbert. Regardless of the struggles that he was having for you from a fantasy standpoint, that affects Keenan Allen, who's been a wide receiver one all year. That affects the hope that Austin Eckler gets things turned around consistently on a week-in, week-out basis. You've had, you have guys on the Chargers that you're in the fantasy playoffs because of, and you need them to perform well. And Justin Herbert's absence will affect this offense in a negative capacity. It will hurt that. So that that's why I had to bring that up as a zero, because we all kind of lose if we had any shares of Keenan Allen, of Justin Herbert, or Austin Eckler because of this injury. Let's switch gears and go to our, our heroes. Having said that, Austin Eckler did have one of his better games as of late. 10 carries, 51 yards, gets a rushing touchdown here, 7 targets, 5 catches, and 49 yards. He's especially a hero, given that going into the game, Brandon Staley talked about how Isaiah Spiller and Joshua Kelly and Austin Eckler were all going to get touches. And that whoever emerges the hot hand during the game would take over at the running back. It wasn't just necessarily going to be an automatic that it would be Austin Eckler. 
As a result of that, Austin Eckler gets 5.1 yards per carry. Looks pretty good. And at the end of the day, winds up well outplaying, outsnapping, and outtouching Joshua Kelly and Isaiah Spiller. So hopefully it puts them into that nonsense, but we'll have to see if it really truly does. In the notes, of course, we talked about the big headline being Herbert. The one thing I do want to add here, Easton Stick comes in. Now, I'm not an Easton Stick fan. But here's what I will say. The silver lining is this. Keenan Allen did not have a catch until Justin Herbert got out of this game. So the production he had, six catches, 68 yards, which ultimately, especially considering the way that game went and the matchup that it was against the Denver Broncos secondary, not, not all bad. Not all bad. And that all came with Easton Stick. Allen had 12 targets in that game. So while I'm not a big fan of the guy, Stick that is, he did come in and show two things. I know to get the ball to my best players. I'm going to throw it to Keenan Allen. If he wasn't open, I'm going to check it down to Austin Eckler. Because Austin Eckler, remember I mentioned it in the hero section, seven targets. We haven't seen Eckler get seven targets in a while. With Herbert out there, he hasn't really been a part of the offense. Now maybe with Easton Stick, it's going to be first read, Keenan Allen, dumped down if it's not there. So this, in some ways, could, Eckler in particular, could actually boost his floor due to volume to a bit. Keenan Allen, not as much. I mean, Keenan Allen will still get his volume, but will they be as effective passes? Will it be in situations where you can run after the catch? Will it be as down the field? No, no, and no. So this is going to limit Keenan Allen's ceiling, even though the volume, thankfully, will still be there based on this game. And therefore, you'll still have a floor where you're playing him with confidence of him being in your lineup. That's the silver line there. But it could actually really help Austin Eckler if he's finally going to get back involved in the passing game the way we're used to seeing him in years past. My other note for this game, Javante Williams finally scored a touchdown his first one since 2021. And I hope, especially as somebody who has quite a few shares of Javante Williams, I hope he follows the same path that I kind of laid out when I talked about earlier in the show, you know, like Evan Ingram getting a touchdown last week, finally getting the, getting the cap off the lid or getting the cap off the lid is the same thing. Getting the lid off the can when it comes to touchdowns and then gets two this week. We saw Deontay Johnson do it. Deontay Johnson finally got a touchdown and then it's like he's got a touchdown almost every single week since then. I'm hoping the same thing happens to Javante Williams. His volume, of course, makes him an RB2 no matter what. He still didn't get over four yards of carry again in this game. And because the Broncos' defense is playing as well as it is, it always bodes well for Javante Williams when the Denver Broncos can be in neutral to pro game scripts. They're in situations where they're getting a lot more of those. Keep in mind, they're only one game behind the Kansas City Chiefs now for the division. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So keep that in the back of your minds. That's going to do it for today's show. Make sure you guys subscribe to our YouTube channel at MDFF Show. Hit the bell notification so you get notified whenever we have new content available to you. You can also stay up to date with the show when you download us on your favorite podcast app. Make sure you do. It's playoff time. It's not time to mess around. Get in on the show. Ask us your questions on social media at BillyUpMDFF Show on X, MDFF Show, everywhere else. We're going to be back on Wednesday. The preview, all of week 15, the first round of the playoffs, our Operation Domination episode, player props and bets, along with our fantasy football analysis. And then we'll be back on Thursday night at 9.30 with Brian Scott, a very important episode with Brian Scott, talk about our injuries going into the first round of the playoffs. So make sure you guys stay tuned to that. Everybody, good luck on your Monday matchups. I mean, you have Monday miracles if you need them. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) 